everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Practicology Podcast. My name is Matthew Kane. This episode is being dropped on August the 1st. I hope you all caught episode number 24 that was released just a few weeks ago, July the 18th, where we told you about our August Summer Challenge. So that's in effect beginning this week. This is the time for you to start memorizing Psalm 103 if you haven't already. You can get a helpful download on how to memorize scripture that Mike has provided for us on the website, practicologypodcast.com. And as you make some progress in your scripture memorization of Psalm 103, we hope you give us some updates on how you're doing on our new Facebook page, our Instagram account, or on our Twitter feed at M&M's Podcast. So we hope you get to work on memorizing Psalm 103. Mike and I are going to be doing the same. Uh, But our first episode going through the psalm won't be until next week's episode, August the 8th. So until then, we are once again going to be treated to a Northern Irish accent today with David Williamson bringing us part three of his three-part study on discipleship in Mark's gospel. We've heard him in episode 23 and episode 25, and we're glad to have him with us again today. Well, thanks again for having me, Matthew. It's uh, a great delight to be able to consider another aspect of discipleship with you. All right. Well, today as our final installment, considering this subject and this study, uh, we've been thinking already about following the Lord and fellowshipping with the Lord what do you have in mind for us today? I'm guessing it's going to start with the letter F. Yes, we're going to keep the Fs going. Uh, I think I'll name this one fighting for the Lord. Uh, Christ is before us. We we, we follow him. Uh, Christ is beside us. We, we we fellowship with him. And Christ is behind us. Uh, we, we, we fight for him. So we're going to turn again to to Mark, uh, to the third occasion that the Lord calls the disciples aside. And this time we're in Mark chapter 6 and Mark chapter 8. All right, let me read these verses for you. Mark chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And then chapter 8, verse 14 and 15 Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Okay, thanks for reading that, Matthew. So so this time, uh, according to chapter 6 of Mark and verse 7, the Lord called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. Uh, they, They had followed and fellowshiped with him. And now they're commanded to to go forward into their culture with what they had learned. Uh, They're commissioned. They're they're sent forth into battle. So this is a spiritual battle, I take it, uh, in their circumstance and in the lesson you're drawing for us. I mean, the disciples weren't sent forth with physical weapons or swords. Their enemies were not people but the ideas and ideologies of the culture, of the people that they were preaching to. Paul speaks of this warfare, doesn't he, in 2 Corinthians 10. Uh, Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh, 
The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Yes, Matthew, that, that's uh, very helpful to point out. Uh, in, in fact, one of the reasons I, I read or we, we read the, the second portion from Mark there was to, to emphasize that uh, we read there that the Lord said to his disciples, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod really speaks of their uh, thinking and their ideas and their teachings. And uh, as the Lord commissions his disciples to invade their culture with truth, he also cautions his disciples against allowing themselves to be invaded by the thinking of their culture. Yeah, and that is always a risk. We have to be watchful. The disciples had to be watchful that the thinking of their culture was not imbibed by them because their responsibility was to carry God's truth into that culture, into the world. Uh, they were at war with the ideas of the culture. Exactly. Um, Tozer, A.W. Tozer wrote a book uh, many years ago, which he called This World Playground or Battleground. And uh, I, I do think at, at times we need to remind ourselves that as disciples of the Lord, we are on the battlefield. We're, we're not finally at home in, in the world. We are in enemy territory. So just give me some examples there, David. What does that mean for us practically today? Well, in the case of these disciples, the, the Lord mentions two ideologies that they faced, the uh, Herods and the Pharisees uh, in, in their teaching and in their preaching, uh, they would challenge both of these ideologies and, and in their living, uh, they're, they're really being urged not to imbibe them. So to, to summarize uh, very briefly the thinking of Herod and the, the Pharisees in a few words, maybe, maybe to over, oversimplify it, we, we could say that Herod loved his sin and the Pharisees loved their self-righteousness. Uh, now, what's immediately clear when we think of those uh, two uh, approaches is that uh, they're not natural companions. In reality, Herod and the Pharisees were not fond of one another at all. But but the crucial point is that the, the gospel, the, the truth that was being carried by the disciples, it, it, it challenges both. And uh, if we wanted to uh, reduce people's varied responses to the truth down into two categories we could do worse than, than this some reject the truth because they love their sin and others reject the truth because they love their self-righteousness so we'll maybe look for for, for a moment at at herod uh, the, the the remainder of chapter six of mark shows us uh, quite a bit about herod he 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 cheated on his wife he, he stole the wife of his brother he was uh, rebuked by John the Baptist. And, and there seems that there was some attraction really to what John the Baptist said. But ultimately, Herod's love of sin and his desire not to lose face in front, in front of others resulted in him beheading John the Baptist. So as these disciples then uh, went forth to serve the Lord, they did that against the political background of a powerful man who opposed the truth because he loved his sin and he loved his reputation. 
And that's a very common way of looking at the world. It's, it's a self-centered way. It's the, the notion that my personal happiness is the most important thing and that any truth that stands against that is expendable. But the gospel, of course, is diametrically opposed to that. So we are going to have to stand up for the objectivity of truth in what we say. And we must also ensure that we don't imbibe the culture's thinking. In other words, the scripture has to be the final word for us. Yeah, we read a few minutes ago early in Mark 8, but I'm thinking now of the end of Mark 8 as well, where the Lord says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So you've identified self-righteousness and you've you've linked it rightly so with a self-centeredness. I think I've heard Sam Albury point out that in the culture today, Western culture in particular, expressing self is the biggest thing in life. Be true to yourself. Therefore, the biggest sin is constraining people's self-expression in, in their mind. You know, that's the the ultimate evil. But you're pointing out how the teaching of the Lord Jesus is in direct opposition to that. And we want to be loyal to the Lord's teaching and what's recorded for us in scripture. We can't just pick and choose when it comes to truth. John had said to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, for example. And Herod said to himself, well, I want her. I'm going to ignore that command um, because he wanted to please himself. And eventually he cut off God's word completely. Isn't that the way le leaven works? I mean, a, a small piece of leaven uh, ends up permeating the whole piece of dough. I think that's why the Lord used the expression, beware of the leaven. Don't, don't even allow a, a tiny piece of Herod's thinking to get into you. It'll destroy your relationship to truth, to God's word. Now, uh, just, just briefly, what, what follows from the beheading of John here is, is, is a number of stories which show the, the character of the Lord to his people. And, and in the midst of the temptation to compromise on, on, on truth, we need to look to, to the Lord. He's seen in this passage as, as one who pities his disciples in their weariness. You know, he, he, he took the disciples aside for a rest. And he's also one who, who provided in uh, the, their wants. You remember, uh, against all the expectation of the disciples, he, he feeds 5,000 people, uh, over 5,000, with five loaves and two fish. And, and then coming down to the end of, of the passage, he's the one who prays for us and gives his presence to us in, in our weakness. He, he saw the disciples struggling in the boat while he was on the mountaintop praying. And just at the appropriate time, he, he came to their aid. Uh, so uh, we need to remember in the midst of the temptation that we all have on, on occasions to, to disobey God's word for, for selfish ends, the Lord is for us. He, he, he cares for us. He can meet our need and he can enable us to accomplish his purpose and he can come and give the help that we need at, at a given point. We're encouraged to simply trust him and obey his word. Life can be very complex, but in another sense, the solution is very simple. We are to trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And I know that's easier said than done sometimes, but it is simply true. What about the Pharisees though? Well, the, the Pharisees come into view in Mark 7, and, and they were they were different from Herod. 
uh, but they certainly weren't friends of, of the truth. They, they they loved their religion. They loved their self righteousness. And uh, the problem with the Pharisees was that they added their own traditions to the Word of God, and then they judged everyone uh, by the traditions that they had added. Uh, so they they judged the Lord's disciples for not keeping the traditions that they had for ceremonial cleansing. And they regarded the disciples as being unholy because of their failure to follow the rules that they had. Now, it's important to see these these were simply their own rules. These were not God's rules. Now, I suppose, though, if the Pharisees were here to defend themselves, they would say, well, we're we're adding our rules to God's rules to create a higher standard and to make sure that we're going to uphold God's rules no matter what. We're just going to make sure that God's rules will never be broken. Well, I, I think that's true. Uh Matthew, but it had the very opposite effect. Uh, their their tradition began to supplant God's truth, and suddenly God was being completely misrepresented. And this always seems to be the case when when extra biblical traditions are enforced. You know, tradition when it's enforced becomes the enemy of of truth. Why does that happen? Well, well, reading through the, the, the remainder of chapter 7 and into chapter 8 of Mark, we, we get some hints at what adding to Scripture does. And I, I'll mention a few of them. It invariably places emphasis upon externals. They, they were concerned about external cleansing. And uh, the Lord really had to remind them that sin uh, was a heart issue. Uh, look at verse 21 of chapter 7. Uh, it says, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery, covering wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a person. So it, it places emphasis upon externals. And because the second point is that because of this emphasis on the externals, it makes a person very exclusive in their character you know if you don't obey our rules then you're not part of our group and because the emphasis is on externals well forming parties becomes very very easy now behind the whole matter is uh, ego or, or or pride you see if you create rules that you can keep and then you judge others by those rules you're you're constantly affirming to yourself that you're better than they are. Others are beneath you, and you know you wouldn't stoop to their low level. Well, Mark uh, records a few incidents then in chapter seven and eight that that show that the Lord was not uh, exclusive. He went outside of Israel, for example, and and saved the daughter of the the Gentile Syrophoenician woman. And uh, later we read about him feeding over four thousand people, many of them being Gentiles. Um, and the Lord was also happy to to stoop low to uh, accommodate to the needs of others. Uh, a favorite story of mine is the one when he healed the man who was deaf and dumb. Uh, he, he didn't say to the man, as the Pharisaical mind might have done, you know, I have my methods of working and, and this man must climb up to my level. No, he, he knew the man's inability to hear or to speak properly. And he removed the problem, the barrier, by getting the man's attention visually 
and using sign language and, and speaking words which were easily lip read. Simply put, the, the Lord was not focused on externals. He, he didn't exclude people from blessing on, on the basis of these things. And in grace, he stooped to accommodate himself to others in order to bring them blessing. Now, all of this, and, and, and there's much more, shows that what we say must challenge the externalism and the exclusivity and the pride of religion. And, and the gospel does all of this. And as well as that, we, we need to be very careful not to be influenced by this kind of thinking. You know, the gospel reaches the heart, it changes people morally from within, and we shouldn't allow our own pride to, to stop us from uh, assessing where people are and removing barriers to their understanding. That's helpful, David. You made some important points there. Uh, it reminds me, too, of the Lord's words in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, except your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And someone might say, how? You know, they, they kept all these rules and all these extra rules, but the Lord was looking for a higher quality of righteousness, a different kind of righteousness, true heart righteousness. As you said, it starts from within. Now, as disciples, we are in danger, as you've pointed out, of allowing cultural tends to cultural trends to influence us that would hinder us from being a good influence on the culture. We want to be salt and light. We need to avoid that trend of making our personal happiness the most important thing. That's certainly the attitude of the culture, but we want to avoid that. Because if we're pursuing our personal happiness at all costs, then we're not going to obey God's word when it challenges us or costs us. We also need to avoid the trend of focusing on external conformity and just uh, a group identity that prides itself on an external conformity. And that really only panders to another aspect of our self-righteous pride. So God's word is encouraging us to confront these wrong trends in the culture, whether the culture at large or some issues that we need to work on in our own subculture as well. Yeah, that, that, that's it, Matthew. Uh, we, we are, as we've been saying, in, in a battle and it, it's a battle for truth. And uh, I think that what we say and do as believers must really be a true reflection of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and of the, the, the gospel that we, we carry. You know, on the one hand, we, 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 we must never diminish God's holiness. And on the other hand, we must never detract from God's love. Uh, we mustn't excuse sin and, and yet we mustn't exalt self-righteousness either. And the gospel, as we know, it, it cuts to the root of both of these challenges. Uh, the cross of Christ declares clearly that sin is serious. And it also declares that self-righteousness is just as serious. You know, I listened to a friend of mine recently sharing the gospel, and he was emphasizing that people either want to be their own Lord or their own Savior. Uh, those who love their sin want to be their own Lord. They want to, to decide what they can and can't do. And those who love their self-righteousness, they want to be their own Savior. They want their works to satisfy God. The gospel obviously conflicts uh, with both of these desires. And maybe just to, to, to say, Matthew, that 
what I what I think really needs to be emphasized is that it, it's not just what we say, but our lives as Christians that that really needs to reflect this reality. I mean, it should be clear to all, uh, for example, that we we love God's word enough not to set it aside when it challenges us. You know, Jesus is our Lord. And it should also be clear to all that our focus is not on external matters, but on an internal work of God in the heart that, that the Lord Jesus is our Savior. Yeah, that's a, a good challenge to finish on, David, just that honesty and transparency that um, comes from a righteous life. There is a, a freedom then knowing that we're living under the eye of God and with God's approval. Uh, living in the fear of God, we can live before the world as a, as a good testimony to him. David, thanks so much for bringing us these studies on discipleship. They've been helpful, and we pray that they'll be a, a blessing to all of our listeners. So thanks very much for your time that you put into this with us. Thanks, Matthew. It's been a pleasure to be with you. And thank you, everyone, for listening again to another episode of the Practicology Podcast. We hope you will join us again next time. Remember, our next episode, episode 27, will be part one of our five-week journey through Psalm 103 as part of our August Summer Challenge. And more information about that can be found on our website at practicologypodcast.com or our Facebook page. May the Lord bless you and encourage you today.